0: الله أكبر الله أكبر You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the Internet twenty four hours a day. Peace be upon you and welcome to this week's edition of Pathway to Peace A show which takes an analytical look at the current issues and trends affecting us all Trying to find the answers to problems that affect our political peace, economic peace, social peace And perhaps the noblest of them all, inner peace This week we're focusing on achieving political peace And that's because 24th of October marks the anniversary of the enactment of the United Nations Charter back in 1945. With the ratification of this founding document by the majority of its signatories, including the five permanent members of the Security Council, the United Nations officially came into being. As it currently stands, there is no other political global organisation with the legitimacy, convening power and impact of the United Nations, and yet the urgency for all countries to come together to fulfil the purpose and promise of the United Nations, has really been greater. United Nations Day offers the opportunity to amplify the common agenda and reaffirm the purposes and principles of the UN Charter that have been in place for the past 78 years. But in this episode of Pathway to Peace, we'll be taking a look at does the United Nations truly live up to its name? Is this global institution still fit for purpose? With me to attempt to dissect this topic and its many encompassing issues, his fellow Pathway to Peace presenters, Anil Tahir and Shams Najm. So, Alaikum, and, and a warm welcome to you both. Wa well, well, Um Yeah, I'm not grateful for you, for you both for coming on to this, in this episode. This is probably quite a timely episode. It's uh, at, at the time of airing the show, just a few days away um, from 24th of October, as I mentioned, obviously, in the sort of the introduction, that is uh, sort of known as a UN Day. Um I, I mean to be honest, I don't I don't see it sort of um how can I put it, I don't see it sort of mass celebrations around that even in previous years and particularly this year, or the the timing, I suppose, of, of, of where twenty fourth October coincides, given what's happening um in the Middle East, it, it, it really is um well, what can I say? It doesn't seem to be a sort of a cause for celebration at all. Just, just given the problems that have been going on, and and I guess not necessarily just in the Middle East. Obviously, there are there are issues, mini conflicts um, <clears throat> across happening all over um, all over the world, in in all various continents. Um, so, it, I guess I guess it is a sort of a, a stark reminder about what what exactly is the UN for, um, and I know we'll be sort of in, in the course of this episode, we'll just be looking at its origins, um, but it's. Uh, I suppose it had it had bold institu- bold ambitions. I guess that's fair to fair to say, isn't it, Shams?
1: Yeah, I think um, you know. I suppose the UN it, it was you know designed to be a platform where um, you know agreements uh, you know can you can be reached yeah. for sort of you know global issues or anything that's uh, affecting the peace. And I suppose we will. Try and dissect some of those instances where, yeah. I suppose we've seen, we've we've seen the value yeah. or not of it, um, and the reasons behind that. But yeah, essentially it was there, yeah. you know, after the um, it was there to prevent, you know, another world war. Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. And to and, and to bring people at, at, on on the same table to, to exactly. be able to at least yeah sit together and exactly. try and reach.
0: Anil, if I turn to you, I mean, I just, I'm just, I'm just thinking about even my own sort of education. I don't recall. It's interesting how, given sort of the the, the, the bold plans or, or you know, the ambitions that the UN has, I don't ever recall it being sort of talked much, even in school. You'd think, you'd think such an institution of, of such of such gravitas, um, it's something that we should all sort of, you know, maybe in our in our sort of, we, we should be taught about it, its functions. But I don't really recall. Much about it, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, y- y- I suppose when you're young, young, or even now, I mean, yeah. you hear of the United Nations, True. and you kind of, you know, you have this idea or perception of what what it should do and what it does. Yeah. Um, but I think we've seen that, um, you know, does it does it real have any real meaning or power? Yeah. Um, to actually do what it was designed to do. Yeah. Um, and something that I found quite interesting, actually, um, the, the obviously the United Nations um, yeah. was created after the Second World War, but yeah. its inception or the idea of it actually came about in 1941, and it was yeah. kind of during the Second World War that they were trying to um, kind of establish yeah. uh, this kind of body. Yeah. Um, and I just thought it was very interesting that they were trying to establish this, during the world war i mean in one way it makes sense you're trying to create a body that is going to bring about peace but we know the war went on for another four years yeah um so yeah i just found it very interesting that uh, they were doing this in the midst of a war true um but yeah like like you say it it doesn't seem to have uh it's just something that it's always been there that you know about but not really has it had yeah. that much? impact? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of good that, that that's happened, and I'm sure we'll cover some of those things. Yeah. Um, but really, it seems like it's hamstrung by yes. um, certain things like the veto yeah. powers, and again, something yeah. I'm sure we'll come onto.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll, just by way of background, I guess, uh, just for, for our listeners' benefit, um, I'll go through some of the, I guess, the origins of the UN and some, some maybe some 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 small sort of stats uh, and facts about the UN. Um, so, it's made up of 193 member con- uh, member countries, um, and its sole purpose is dedicated to international peace and security, that, that really is what, it, you know, it's in a, in a nutshell what it's about. And as you mentioned, in after World War II, the United Nations replaced the unsuccessful League of Nations, uh, which we'll have to talk about in a moment, <coughs> um, in order to prevent the development of further wars. Um, obviously, it's, they'd seen World War One come to pass, and obviously World War II. Um, <clears throat> The other functions for example um it, uh, sort of i guess it broadly covers five main areas to maintain international peace and security as was mentioned to protect human rights uh, to deliver humanitarian aid to support sustainable development and climate action and to uphold international law um i think what's quite quite interesting uh, there are uh, i guess a, a number of uh, sort of bodies um sort of if 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 you and i guess is the umbrella term there are a a number of sort of bodies that sort of sit underneath it Uh, we have for example the the, the UN Security Council uh, of which uh, they you keep hearing this term about sort of the five um, uh, how can I say um, the members that sort of have sort of those veto powers as you talked about Uh, but those sort of five sort of key countries you have United States the United Kingdom France um, and then Russia and China Um, and it's it's quite it, it's it's uh, it's an interesting premise how and then, and and you have sort of revolving countries obviously who sort of are sort of deemed as temporary members um, and and yet if if just one of those five uh, if they ever sort of opt out or, or, or decide you know not to sort of agree on a particular resolution the resolution doesn't come to pass which I think has has major ramifications uh, which obviously we'll, we'll come to as well later on in the show. Um, but i well, other things um to to of of, of worthy i guess uh, currently the secretary uh, general of the united nations is antonio guterres from portugal um and as i mentioned before the six principal un sort of organs um, who are responsible for various areas uh, are so you have the secretariat uh, you have the general assembly which is probably which is more commonly known it's probably referred to a lot in the news the security council uh, the international court of justice uh, the Trusty Council, the trustee Ship Council, and the Economic and Social Council. Um, they do have sort of a. I suppose where the League of Nations, it, what it what it lacked, and some, some would argue maybe that was was one of the reasons for its downfall. W- one of the reasons? It says the Security Council is responsible for peacekeeping. Uh, so so in order to help countries involved in conflicts, the United Nations can decide to send in peacekeeping missions. They have effectively their own sort of army, you could say. Well is the wrong word, I think. it's As I say, the, the term is peacekeeping, peacekeepers. Uh, so peacekeepers can, can be recognised by their blue helmets and are supposed to monitor and implement peace agreements. So just to correct myself, what I just said a moment ago, they are not an army, um, is what it states on the UN website, but an instrument to create and sustain peace. Um, and it says as of 2023, uh, there were 12 peacekeeping missions around the world. And... Um, uh, and I say the goal of the mission is to stabilize the country after uh, you know for example during times of civil war uh, and and Bangladesh is a country that contributes the most to different peacekeeping missions um in terms of their in their personnel um but you know I was just going to say that yeah despite sort of it's 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 major sort of bold uh, uh, um, sort of aims um it's it yeah it, it, I suppose it sort of, it sort of does lack it really it does it really does lack in sort of bringing about sort of that that sort of social cohesion, um, and I'm wondering if I mean I've take for example, uh, I've I've just got some various articles here, where if, if you just take this is just just one article that I'll pull from uh, from from the Guardian website. This is actually quite an old article, um, but the the title uh, this is actually when the United Nations turned seventy. So sort of a bit, a bit on from there. And the the title of the article on the Guardian website was "What's the point of peacekeepers when they don't keep the peace?" <coughs> and then, so it says so the art so the authors of this was obviously saying from from Rwanda to Bosnia, from from Haiti to Congo, failures uh, raise questions about the future of of the United Nations blue helmets. So the famous blue helmets that we talked about. So yeah, if I if I turn to you both, really, I mean we we've seen in our lifetime, I suppose, as we were growing up. Yeah, issues r- literally ranging from from Rwanda back in nineteen ninety four, and obviously I think it was Bosnia, maybe just probably a, a, maybe even a bit before after after that, and and it's it's a shame, isn't it, that you're seeing, um, despite sort of the bold ambitions of the UN, genocides keep happening, you know. Um,
1: Generally, when you when you have a system and you you try and make a decision, you 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 know even within sort of. Companies within this country, you have a system where if the majority vote in favour of something, that is what you generally tend to go with. Whereas the system here mm. means that any sort of disagreement on how a conflict needs to be handled means that the conflict is just not handled, not handled differently, not handled at a lesser extent. It, it's then you know this veto power, yeah. because of course nations are um, you know as as we know there's there, there's certain uh, motives or allies or whatever it is the you know political sort of alliances uh, there are going to be instances where you know one nation or out of you know the the sort of power the the the, the five can stand and say yeah. can reject it and that ultimately um means that that's a huge obstacle right yeah so this but is it, undermi- inev- it
0: undermines it doesn't
1: it? well of course yeah. it's, it's inevitable you're going to see what you've just mentioned, you know, some of these atrocities that are not dealt with at all. So what's the whole point? You know, as as Anil pointed out, this was formed during the war. So obviously it was taken taken a view that actually we're in such a crisis. We need to get together. Yeah. Something needs to change. But what was the point yeah. when <laughs> you're then allowing, you know, it's not the majority vote that counts,
0: which is the norm in
1: most voting systems?
0: Yeah, Yeah. Absolutely. Any early takes on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, just coming back to the, uh, uh, I suppose, adding on uh, to that point. I mean, if you, if you look at the history of um, the the use of this veto vote, uh, I mean, in at the kind of inception or the early stages, um, the USSR were quite um, used it. I think the most they were the only ones that used it for the first. Uh, was, is it? If you look at the list, the USSR yeah. literally just comes uh, every time right. um, until, fr- I think, France and UK um, used their veto power in 1956. Uh, I ah. mean, the, the, the majority of the USSR's veto um, usage was kind of uh, basically to stop certain countries being admitted into, into oh. the UN. Right. Um, but if you ah. look more recently, uh, I mean, we've seen on, um, I think it was on the 18th of October, yeah. um, the US used their veto power um with regards to the, the palestine situation um where they were trying to get a, a ceasefire and humanitarian
0: aid as much as recently you're right sorry yes, yes. Um, so yeah,
2: yeah. and and it it, it 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 like we said it, it makes a mockery of the uh, yeah. of, of the un because i think we had six members that voted um for it two abstained and and then that one um one country vetoed it and and that meant that the whole um, you know the, the resolution. Was, down, yeah. yeah, the resolution was then yeah. um, couldn't pass, and and if we're having uh, United Nations, you know the the word United is in there. Yeah. Um, it should be a, a majority vote, and how are you going to come to any sort of agreement if you're just able to, whenever you feel like it, just decide right? W- you know, we're going to scupper this um, this resolution. Yeah. And, and there's a there's a number of occasions where. Um, the U.S. Have, uh, uh, has used it. Um, it. It's majority the U.S. and Russia that, um, if you look at the history of the yeah. um, veto usage. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it 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 creates this you know double standard in hypocrisy, yeah. um, and hypocrisy, and it like you said it undermines the the whole purpose of the United Nations.
0: Yeah. Now I guess if we sort of we sort of go back in time a little bit and we look at sort of the, the League of Nations then. There's a, a really interesting um, sort of Chinese proverb um, which sort of, it's it sort of, I'm sort of paraphrasing it slightly, but I think it goes along the lines of to know the outcome, look to the root, study the past, to know the future. And so when we look at sort of the United Nations predecessor then, um, the the League of Nations, and we sort of see what exactly happened to that, I can't help but think sort of the, the UN is sort of it's it's pretty much going running on the same trajectory then um so just 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 going kind of referring back to the league of nations it was in the aftermath of the first world war that the league of nations was established um so this is in 1919 at the paris peace conference um bearing in mind i think it was it was uh yeah so a World world one finished around 1918 so just the june after that and um, that's where uh, the paris peace conference took place and the covenant of the league of nations uh, was made up, um, and this is known as famously known as the Treaty of Versailles. Um, so the the League came into being uh, on in January, January the tenth of nineteen twenty, with the primary objective of preventing further global con- conflicts by maintaining international peace and security through diplomacy and negotiation rather than military action. Um, which, which you know, if you think about it, at that time, you know, World War One obviously had had a mass mass ramifications. Obviously, you know, so many millions. Um, you know, you know, sort of part you know died in in that conflict. It, it, the first of its kind. It, obviously, it was the it was the first truly global war. So naturally, sort of some something like that needed some some massive sort of reform as to how to sort of deal with future conflicts. Um, it was a bit it's strange, though, that unfortunately, you know, at the sort of the outset of the League of Nations, one of the main architects of that was the then president of the United States, uh, President Woodrow Wilson. Um, Unfortunately, in, in the U.S., the Congress refused to join. So I, I find that really strange. Um, that they, The U.S. themselves, who were sort of the main architects of that sort of league, um, that organization, didn't actually join. Um, while the other, other sort of great powers of the day, uh, Britain, France, Italy, Japan, um, uh, they were reluctant to provide military assistance, and that's probably where they, they were members, but they were reluctant to provide that sort of military assistance. And so that's where the League of Nations sort of lacked sort of a peacekeeping sort of a, a aspect to it where the UN does. Um, it says, by the end of 1934, league membership reached its highest level of 58 member states. That's the highest it ever got, um, but then yeah, but w- what was very sad is subsequently, you know, it, when it came to the, the 1940s, um, effectively World War II sort of commenced. Um, it was, oh, and it said the rise of nationalism and the impact of the Second World War. So, the inevitable inevitable collapse of the League of Nations and its official dissolution, uh, dissolution in 1946. Um, and obviously, it's, as we sort of remarked about before, the League of Nations was replaced by the United Nations following the Second World War. Um, and as we talked about in, in the introduction, um, um, the UN came into being in, in, in June 1945, where 50 governments met in San Francisco to draft the UN Charter um, back in uh, 24th of October. Um, now, it's interesting, I've, I've managed to find a clip. Um, this was uh, an address delivered uh, by His Holiness, Hazrat Mizar Masur Ahmed, uh, the fifth caliph of the amdi Muslim community, where he, this was a, a very historic address um, given at <clears throat> um, Capitol Hill in the United States, famous Capitol Hill. And in that address, um, His Holiness actually... Sort of talks about the League of Nations, and and the inherent flaws that was within that, um, using it sort of as a as a lesson that we should learn, humanity should learn, and sort of you know not not sort of suffer its fate again. So let's have a listen to to what he had to say then.
3: After the conclusion of the First World War, the leaders of certain countries desired for good and peaceful relations between all nations in future. Thus, in an effort to achieve world peace, the League of Nations was formed. Its principal aim was to, establish, uh, to maintain world peace and to prevent future wars from breaking out. Unfortunately, the rules of the League and resolutions it passed had certain flaws and weaknesses, and so they did not properly protect the rights of all peoples and all nations equally. Hence, as a result of the inequalities that existed, long-term peace could not prevail. The efforts of League failed and this led directly to World War II. We are all aware of the unparalleled destruction and devastation that ensued where around 75 million people globally lost their lives, many of whom were innocent civilians. That uh, that war should have been more than enough To open the eyes of the world. It should have been a means to developing wise policies that granted all parties their due rights based on justice and thus proved to be a means of establishing peace in the world. The world's governments at, the, at uh, the time did endeavor to some extent to try and establish peace and hence the United Nations was established. However, it soon became quite apparent that the noble and overarching objective underpinning the United Nations could not be fulfilled. Indeed, today, certain governments quite openly make statements that prove its failure. What does Islam say in relation to international relations that are based on justice and so a means of establishing peace? The Holy Quran, um, in the Holy Quran, God Almighty has made it clear that whilst our nationalities or ethnic backgrounds act as a means of identity. They do not entitle or validate any form of superiority of any kind. The Quran thus makes clear that all people are born equal. Furthermore, in final sermon ever delivered by the Holy Prophet Muhammad peace and blessing of Allah be upon him. He instructed all Muslims to always remember that an Arab is not superior to a non-Arab and nor is a non-Arab superior to an Arab. And he taught that a white person is not superior to a black person and nor is a black person superior to a white person. Thus, it is clear teaching of Islam that the people of all nationalities and all races are equal. It is also made clear that all people should be granted equal rights without any discrimination or prejudice. This is the key and golden principle that lays the foundation for harmony between different groups and nations and for the establishment of peace. However, today we find that there is division and separation between powerful and weaker nations. For example, in the United Nations, we find that there is a distinction made between certain countries. Thus, in the Security Council, there are some permanent members and some non-permanent members. This division has proved to be an internal source of anxiety and frustration And thus, we regularly hear reports of certain countries protesting against this inequality. Islam teaches absolute justice and equality in all matters. And so we find another very crucial guideline in chapter 5 verse 3 of the Holy Quran. In this verse, it states that to fully comply with the requirements of justice, it is necessary to treat even those people who go beyond all limits in their hatred and enmity with fairness and equity. And the Quran teaches that wherever and whoever counsels you towards goodness and virtue, you should accept it. And wherever and whoever counsels you towards sinful or unjust behavior you should reject it. A question that naturally arises is that what is the standard of justice required by Islam? In chapter 4 verse 136, the Holy Quran states that even if you have to testify against yourself or your parents or your most loved ones, then you must do so in order to uphold justice and to uphold the truth. Powerful and rich countries should not usurp the rights of the poor and weaker countries in an effort to preserve their own rights, and nor should they deal with the poorer nations in an unjust fashion. On the other hand, the poor and weaker nations should not seek to inflict harm on the powerful or wealthy nations whenever the opportunity arises. Instead, both sides should endeavor to fully abide by the principles of justice and indeed this is a matter of crucial importance in uh, maintaining peaceful relations between countries. Another requirement for peace between nations based on justice is given in Chapter 15 of the Holy Quran, in verse 59, where it says that no party should ever look enviously at the resources and wealth of others. And similarly, no country should seek to uh, unjustly appropriate or take over the resources of another country on the false pretext of trying to assist or support them thus on the basis of providing technical expertise governments should not take advantage of other nations by making unjust trade deals or contracts and similarly on the basis of providing expertise or existence uh, or assistance governments should not try to take control of the natural resources or assets of the developing nations. Where less educated people or governments need to be taught how to properly utilize their natural resources, then this should be done. Then nations and governments should always seek to serve and help those less fortunate. However, such service should not be rendered with an aim of achieving national or political benefits or as a means to fulfill vested interests we find that in the past six uh, in the past six or seven decades the united nations has launched many programs or foundations aiming to help the poor countries to progress. Towards this effort, they have explored the natural resources of the developing nations. However, despite these efforts, none of the poorer countries have reached the stage or level of the developed nations. One reason for this is certainly wide-ranging corruption by many of the governments of those underdeveloped countries. With regret, though, I must say that despite this as a means to further their own interests, the developed nations have continued to deal with such governments. Trade deals, international aid and business contracts have continued to be processed. And as a result, the frustration and restlessness of the poor and deprived segments of society have continued to increase. And this has led to rebellion and internal disorder within those countries. The poor people of the developing countries have become so frustrated that they have turned against not only their own leaders, but also the big powers as well. This has played into the uh, hands of the extremist groups who have taken advantage of the frustrations and so have been able to encourage such people towards joining their groups and supporting their hate-filled ideology. And the ultimate result of this has been that the peace of the world has been destroyed.
0: We just heard uh, an extract there from a speech delivered by His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, uh, on the occasion of the Capitol Hill Address in the United States. Um, this was delivered on the 27th of June 2012. Um, and I think it's quite remarkable that it's over a decade now that this speech was delivered, and yet if you heard that now, it's as if it's the message is fresh, as if it's completely apt for today uh, of what's going on um, around, around you know, various conflicts around the world. Um, it's remarkable, obviously, how sort of His Holiness sort of began. I mean in amongst the, the the wider speech but in this particular extract that we've chosen, he starts and sort of highlights um, to the audience who were members of, of of Congress, various politicians on both sides of the spectrum um, in in America, and sort of reminded them about the sort of the inherent flaws um, within the League of nations. and and obviously went to talk about various other aspects of which justice being you know a key a key driver um, for ensuring sort of peace. Um, in, in you know in today's today's world, and and he sort of remarked on various verses from the Holy Quran, and there were, and there were, and there are quite a few um, given given sort of the 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 importance of this topic. There is a verse, uh, a very famous verse, chapter sixteen, verse ninety one, where it says in the Holy Quran, "Verily, God enjoins justice and the doing of good to others, and give like the giving of kin to kin." Uh, the verse, the verse does carry on, but just just that first half of the verse, uh, where it states, and God enjoins justice. The Arabic word there has been used is called adl. Adl is an Arabic word meaning justice, but it implies um, that a person should treat others uh, as if he would want to be treated. So that is almost the bare. That's the bare minimum. That is the benchmark of 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 how um, you know society, <coughs> you know, mankind should be towards one another. That's the absolute sort of, you know, the, 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 the base, you know, that one should be at. And the next stage is once that has been observed, it says in the verse, and the doing of good to others. The, the, what has what, been translated loosely into English as good, the Arabic word there is called ihsan, which means it implies the doing of good to others, irrespective of what, they, of what the, the person doing good gets in return. So they don't really think about what they're getting in return uh, as a result of that doing good. And then this sort of the pinnacle, then where it says and give, uh, where it says in the verse and give like the giving of kin to kin. Um, this kin to kin, this is the Arabic word here is itaydul qurba, which means the doing of good has become a, it's become a natural impulse, as if a mother sort of how how a mother behaves toward their child, you know, if you can think just just think about it psychologically, you know, just instinctively. A mother doesn't uh, doesn't expect anything in return from their child when it, when it sort of does a good deed towards them. So it's a remarkable verse, the fact that the very, the, the bare minimum benchmark then is, you know, do unto others how you'd want to be treated. That is the golden principle, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's what, as soon as you said that, kind of stood out. And, and you mentioned that's the bare minimum benchmark. But actually, if you look to apply that to any conflict that we've yeah. seen, that would be like the best that we could, even aim to achieve because it's nowhere near yeah. being sort of followed or fulfilled yeah. and even with you know recent um events you, you often see um you know general public and uh world leaders yeah. um, make comments that just make you think you would never accept that as a treatment yeah. for yourself yeah. ever but these are, uh, you know, you, you make remarks to, with, I suppose it's clear that, the you know, there's an absence of justice in those comments and the position that is being taken. Yeah. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, his own words are, um, you know, so timely, mm. though they were, you know, a, a, a decade ago. Yeah. Um, but it's just a shame that they those words haven't been yeah. um, followed because I think we can see that if, as I said, even if at the most basic, um, the basic guidance was followed, we'd see a very different sort of take
0: uh, and outcomes. Yeah. I mean, Neil, if I turn to you here, that one thing, as we've just talked about, this was a clip about a, de- a decade ago, but for the last 20 years, um, His Holiness, Aziz Mizar you know, the, the supreme head of the Amdi Muslim community, Uh, the Khalifa of the Amdi Muslim community, um, the only community with a Khalifa. Um, For the last 20 years, he has been sort of traveling worldwide, addressing various parliaments. Um, You know, I was just going to say, parliaments at one end of the scale, through to sort of local communities on another, where he has done sort of mosque openings, so right down to almost the grassroots of society. And has been saying for the last sort of two decades, warning rather that the world is 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 in a very very dangerous place. Um, and I guess, it, in a nutshell, if the world sort of needs to recognise its creator, because because therein lies the sort of the foundation for sort of world peace, isn't it? Is that? Good to
2: say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in 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 that clip that um, you played, um, you know. One of the things he said was, "If there is no justice, there is no peace." Yeah, right. And that's probably the the crux of the matter. Otherwise, if there is injustice, there is going to be restlessness. Yeah, um, and you're never going to get um, get peace. And and I think you you also referred to the, the the division and separation between the the powerful and weaker nations. Yeah, um, and and that's caused a source of uh, anxiety and frustration. Um, so you're right. You know. It, it all comes back to um, you know, going back to your Creator and, and worshiping your Creator, yeah. um, and if if we did that correctly um, and heeded uh, the words um, of the Holy Quran, then we would have justice. Yeah. Um, and 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 so yeah, it's, it's such a powerful speech this uh, yeah. that, that we listen to, um, and it just highlights the the things. That we've kind of mentioned already about the double standards uh, between mm. the big powers, yeah. um, and this is why we've gone from the League of Nations to trying to yeah. from World War One. You know, we've gone to um, World War Two, and now we've got another body. But yeah. if if the body is just there to uh, for show and, and and not have that justice, is just going to be a yeah. uh, a, a body that that let just just called the United Nations. But we're we're still. I mean, and we're getting to a, a worse situation, in which mm. Ho- His Holiness has been kind of. Uh, mentioning again and again, Uh, you know, we're seeing wars uh, constant Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, uh, Ukraine, Russia, and you know, this um, conflict uh, between Israel-Palestine and has been going on for, you know, 70 odd years. So, uh, and it's like World War Two was just continued, but Mm. just because it's kind of maybe siloed in certain countries. Um, I think the the wisdom
1: behind what you know the words and I think you you touched upon it as well is that if there's no justice there's no peace is is so evident in what we've seen over the last few decades and let's just take sort of briefly this conflict itself that when it does sort of die down because it's not dealt with with justice in mind it reignites and we see that often you mentioned you know there's been multiple sort of Conflicts since the inauguration of the, um, the UN and, and all of these sort of bodies that do try and promote peace. But because there isn't that justice, even if things seemingly calm down or seemingly go away, yeah. they, of, they often return. Um, and it is because justice isn't at the base of the decision making. And this is, you know, such beautiful wisdom the words of His Holiness that it's that that will ultimately lead to peace.
0: Yeah. Um, the show itself is about the United Nations. Um, and lo and behold, we've found another extract where his holiness has sort of directly spoken about that body. Um, let's hear what he had to say there. This is a clip taken from uh, 2013.
3: The pathetic situation of today's world is that at one level, people speak of establishing peace, whilst at another level, they are engulfed in their egotistical ways and wrapped by a shroud of pride and arrogance. In order to prove their superiority and might, every powerful government is ready to make all possible efforts. After the Second World War, in an effort to establish long-lasting peace in the world and to prevent future wars, nations joined together to form an organization. Which they called the United Nations. However, it seems that just as the League of Nations miserably failed in the objectives, in its objectives, the status and respect of the United Nations continues to fall by the day. If the requirements of justice are not fulfilled, then no matter how many organizations are formed the sake of, for the sake of peace, their efforts will prove fruitless. I have just mentioned the failure of the League of Nations. The institution was formed after the First World War with the sole objective of safeguarding world peace. However, it could not stop the onset of Second World War, which as I have already said, caused so much devastation and loss. New Zealand also suffered casualties as a result of the war. It is said that it suffered a loss of around 11,000 people, virtually all of whom were from the military. As New Zealand was far removed from the epicenter of the war, it did not suffer civilian casualties. However, As I have already alluded to, overall, in the war, more innocent civilians were killed than military personnel. Just imagine, normal innocent people, including countless women and children, were killed indiscriminately, having committed no crime. It is for this very reason that you will find in the hearts of the people who live in countries which were directly engulfed in that war and and an innate hatred of war itself. Certainly, it is a requirement of loving one's nation that if it is ever attacked, it is the duty of a citizen to be ready to give every sacrifice for its defense and to liberate the nation. Nevertheless, if the conflict can be resolved in a cordial or peaceful way through negotiations and diplomacy, then one should not needlessly invite death and killings. In olden times, when wars took place, there were mainly military casualties with a very minimum civilian loss. However, the means of today's wars include aerial bombardment, poison gas, and even chemical weapons. And as I said, there's also the potential use of the most horrific weapon of all, the nuclear bomb. Consequently, the wars of today are entirely different to those of the past. Because today wars could potentially wipe mankind from the face of the earth. Let me at this point present a beautiful teaching of the Holy Quran regarding the establishment of peace. The Quran says, and good and evil are not alike, repel evil with that which is best. And lo, he between whom and thyself was enmity will become as though he were a warm friend. Thus the Quran teaches that as far as possible any enmities or grudges should be reconciled and solved by opening the channels of communication and through dialogue. Most certainly to speak to someone with kindness and wisdom can only have a very positive and enduring effect on their heart and is a uh, means of removing hatred and grudges. No doubt, We in this era believe ourselves to be extremely advanced and civilized. We have created various international charities and foundations that provide healthcare and education to children or that provide healthcare to mothers. Similarly, there are countless other charities established out of human sympathy and compassion. We have done all of this, we who have done all of this should reflect and pay attention to the urgent need of the time and contemplate how we can save ourselves and others from devastation and destruction. We should remember that compared to six or seven decades ago, the world is now much closer together. 60 or 70 years ago, New Zealand was a distant country, far away from Asia and Europe. However, today it is an integral part of one common global community. Thus, in a state of war, no country and no region is safe. Your leaders and your politicians are the guardians of the nation. They are responsible for the safety of the country and for its continued progress and betterment. And so it is essential that they always keep in mind the critical point that it is from local wars that devastation and destruction spreads far and wide. We should be grateful to God that He recently granted sense and wisdom to some of the major powers so that they realized that they had to take action to stop war to prevent the utter devastation that would have ensued. Most pertinently, Russia's president made efforts to hold back some of the other major powers from attacking attacking Syria. He made it clear that all countries, whether large or small, should be treated equally. He also said that if the requirements of justice were not met and if other nations went to war independently then the United Nations would suffer the same sorry fate as the League of Nations. I believe that he was completely correct in this analysis. Although I am not a supporter of all of his policies or Israel's policies but when there is a word of wisdom we should accept it. I wish only that he had gone one step further and said that the right of veto power held by five permanent members of UN Security Council should be ended once and for all so that true justice and equity could prevail amongst all nations.
0: You just had a clip there from His Holiness Delivered on November the 4th, 2013, uh, so literally just coming up to 10 years um, ago, and you you, you may have uh, realised that His Holiness made references to New Zealand quite a bit, and that's because this was an address that His Holiness delivered at the New Zealand Parliament. Um, so yeah, I, I suppose echoing the same sort of sentiments where his address at, at Capitol Hill, where he's sort of highlighting the fact that we've learnt the lessons from, you know, from from the League of Nations and how that sort of, it's sort of in, you know, the inherent flaws that were within that and, and, and the consequential sort of the downfall of that. And can't help but think the UN is sort of, you know, is sort of going along the, the same sort of trajectory. Um, we talked about various verses within the Holy Quran that sort of keep, either almost um, really hit home the the key principles of justice and observing justice. There are obviously many uh, sort of uh, hadiths the sayings of the holy prophets, uh, peace and blessings of God be upon him, where he's talked about other sort of uh, practical advice about uh, sort of bringing about sort of social cohesion within society, principles which can be applied sort of on a micro level as well as sort of on a macro level as well between nation states. Um, there was quite a famous uh, saying where he said, help your brother, be he the oppressor or the oppressed. And the companions at the time, some were quite confused as to what he meant. They understood what was meant by, um, you know, helping a, helping a fellow, you know, a sort of another fellow being. Um, but what is meant by sort of helping the oppressor, um, and sort of he remarked by sort of you know holding them back um, from, from causing harm to to others. And I can't help but think that sort of that sort of golden principle, when we think about the, obviously the conflicts that are happening at the moment. Um I need be i know we, before the show we we sort of reflected upon the the press statement um issued from his Holiness around the sort of the conflict that we're seeing in the Middle East. Is there anything sort of sort of anecdotes we can take from that?
2: yeah i mean um it was quite a um you know his Holiness spoke quite a length on the on the thirteenth of october um and you know he, did, he mentioned about um, for the far, past few days about the war between uh, Hamas and Israel um and, and he mentioned even in a state of war, Islam does not permit the killing of uh women children elder, elderly and uh innocent civilians um and um you know and, and he he said speaking of the um of the actions of of both sides, but uh, he mentioned whatever injustice and cruelty Hamas committed mm. the response to that or or war should have been restricted to Hamas yeah. um however the Response of the Israeli government is is extremely dangerous, and it seems that this conflict will not end here. Mm. Um, And and in fact, it cannot even be imagined how many innocent women, children, elderly, and civilians will lose their lives. Um, So you know this. You know uh, it goes on to say that the uh, Israeli government has suggested it will destroy Gaza and and, just turn the city to dust. So you know he's highlighting the uh, the Islamic point of view uh, of war. uh, You know innocent. people should not be harmed uh, you know yeah. it should be kind of restricted to um the the th- those yeah. yeah those fighting the soldiers yeah. um and and it's a it's a dire situation um you know uh, uh, over a million people uh, palestinians have, have now been displaced mm-hmm. um uh, he did actually mention also um the United Nations as well. He um, said, thankfully, albeit with much hesitation, mm. the United Nations is at least now raising a f- faint voice mm. uh, in response to this. Uh, and they've said it is against human rights and create huge problems. And so Israel should think about the decision rather than unequivocally saying that it is wrong. And it's, instead of taking a stronger stance, the United Nations is making mere requests. Yeah. So this is something that you know we've mentioned earlier. It's almost kind of... Uh, it doesn't have any actual power. It's just it's there just... Yeah. Kind of uh, making requests, but uh, if, yeah. if nobody heeds those requests, we're you know we're, we're not in yeah. any better place, are we?
0: Well, let's see. Um, you know, the state of the United Nations is in the next five, ten, fifteen, and and, and beyond. Um, I guess uh, time will tell about how how effective um, the body will be. Well, I'm afraid that's it for this week's edition of Pathway to Peace. We're back same time next week. A big thank you to Shams Najm and Anil Tahir But before we leave. I'd like to end the show with the very words used by His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Ahmed, when he ended the Historic address at Capitol Hill. If governments can truly reflect and imbibe the advice given by His Holiness, therein lies a pathway to peace.
3: In short, if we desire peace to be established in the world, then we must leave aside our personal and national interests for the greater good and instead we must establish mutual relations that are based entirely on justice. Otherwise, you might agree with me, some of you, due to the uh, alliances, blocks may be formed in future or even I can say they have started forming. It is not unlikely that disorder will continue to increase in the world, which will ultimately lead to a huge destruction. The effects of such devastation and warfare will surely last for many generations. And so the United States, as the world's largest power, should play its role in acting with true justice and with such good intentions as I have described. If it does so, then the world will always remember with great admiration your great efforts. It is my prayer that this becomes a reality.